Father, we thank you for your word that you speak over us. It heals our diseases, cleanses us, raises us to new life, gives us purpose and hope, and puts a sword in our hand for the battle that's laid before us. We thank you that your word will come to pass in your people because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, Lord. Made into the likeness of you by your son, Jesus, in his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Father, and we love you, and we ask for your blessing over these next moments. That you'd speak to our hearts, and that we would hear, and it would embed itself deep inside of who we are taking deep root, growing up, and accomplishing the purposes that you've established for it. But you don't speak in vain. Your word has purpose, and at its entrance it gives light, illuminating our path so we can walk in the direction and the counsel of the Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for everything you do. So blessed by your worship. We're going to do one more thing. Is Jennifer here? Jennifer, come on forward. We're going to, um, Jennifer has, um, well, there's a unique situation, but she's now um, going to make covenant with the body and join us officially. And so if you guys are part of us and have made covenant with us and have uh, been had your hands laid on uh, you, then come forward here. We're just going to lay hands on her and receive her in and pray over her as a... Uh, official, if you will, part of our family here. So we love her and uh, her girls, and we're here to help and to be what we need and what she needs. So Father, we just receive your daughter to us, Lord. We thank you that the covenant that uh, Naomi and Ruth had is uh, this foundation of your God is my God, and your people are my people, and where you go is where I go. And Father, we thank you that you um, give us this ability in your word to join hearts in your blood and your family that you've given us, Father. We thank you that this covenant uh, that we make with one another would be to love one another, to serve one another, and to uh, offer each other uh, our lives as a sacrifice unto you, and that those who look in from the outside would see the love that we have for one another and know that we are your disciples. So, Father, bless her and keep her. Make your face shine upon her. Be gracious to her. Lift up your countenance upon her and give her, give you her peace, Lord. We thank you for her and we thank you for her girls. We release a blessing on her right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate every one of you guys and... Um, Everything you're doing, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me a couple of things. There's, there's some specific words I had for people in here, but I also kind of knew that there was something more overall what he was trying to say, and I believe it fits in with the message, so I'm not going to give the specific words because I want to give this first, and then I may get with you um, afterwards if, if I had something for you, but I want you to... Um, Follow with me some things. Here's what I felt like the Lord said generically over you guys. 
everybody here this morning and those watching. Keep praying for many of us. We've, we have a lot of people who are sick. Pray for, uh, for Judy and keep praying for Sharon and, and uh, those who aren't feeling well. I guess, is Lindsay six or, okay, pray for Lindsay and, and the kids and uh, anybody else who's not feeling well as you come before the Lord. Uh, one of the things I felt like the Lord was saying was, um, in a sense, what I felt like he was saying, he's proud of you because you haven't quit. Okay, I know it's been hard, I know it's not been easy, but you haven't quit. But at the same time, he wants you to understand that many of you are going into battle without a sword. You're trying to fight things without something in your hand. You're trying to get through a situation without leaning upon what he's already said. Does that make sense? I want to explain that maybe a little bit more. I want to talk to you today about the power of remembrance. And this is something that I feel like is very important. In the last few messages I preached, I feel like it's very important. Because if we haphazardly wander through the journey of our life, we're not going to be strategic enough to understand the will of God and what he's called for us to do. Does that make sense? You're not here to just exist. You're not here to earn a paycheck at the end of every week. God has placed you here in this life and on this earth for a specific purpose and reason. And if we lose that reason, then we lose our purpose and our identity. But as we begin to go into this life, it's going to create certain battles for us. You realize that, that the world will always have tribulation. I was listening to the Word this week, and I, I listened to John 17. And there was something that Jesus said that really stood out to me. He said, Father, I pray that you don't keep them, that, or, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. He said, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. There's a big difference between the evil one and the world. You with me? The world is a fallen state of reality. The world has its, at its epicenter, its core is, it has to be remade. At some point, God's going to remake the new earth because the old one has been tainted. So at its core, the earth is the system of, of operation, the Adamic nature, the fallen entity. And he says, I, I pray that you don't take them out of that. In other words, the world creates a difficulty for you. No matter, even if you take the enemy away, the world is still difficult. It's still hard. There's still sin. There's still certain things that happen in this life that create chaos and that create uh, difficulty. But he did pray that, that we would be kept from the evil one. Does that make sense to you? So sometimes what we blame on the devil is, more, is, is nothing more than the system of the operation of the world. And when you go into life and you go into the world and you go into marriage and you go into uh, church and you go into society and you go into your job and you go into family and you go into all these things, there's going to be a certain degree of difficulty that comes to your life because of the world and what it is. It's not necessarily God or the devil doing it. It's something that we impregnated into this in, in, in the beginning as human beings, giving our authority over, changing everything. The earth completely changed. This is why I, I have a hard time with Christian hippies who want to smoke marijuana and say that it's biblical because every green herb of the field has been given by God. And I, and I look at them and I say, you don't understand that came before the dispensation of the fall. When we screwed everything up, poison became to the earth. Things became changed. Lions who ate grass now ate sheep and people. 
this, the, the literal structure of the beings on this planet shifted inside. All of a sudden, the, the digestive system of the carnivorous was now no longer a herbivore. It changed into being able to digest something it was never supposed to eat. Everything completely changed, and that's the order in the world that we operate in. You with me? And so when we go into battle to operate, we're not just only operating on fighting powers and principalities, though we do that. But there are certain systems of the world that we have to learn how to get through. We have to learn how to fight. We have to learn how to uh, release ourselves from by focusing on what we're supposed to focus on in the correct way. You with me? So many of us, I feel like, are going into certain battles without a sword. What is the sword? It is the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? It's Jesus. Jesus says, I will always be with you. His name is Emmanuel. So there's so many times we're trying to do things for the Lord without the Lord. Just because you're engaged in the practice of serving God doesn't mean you're actually engaged with God being with you in your service. That's the biggest lie to ministry. People feel like pastors and leaders, and just because they're in ministry, that they're doing the will of God. No, the will of God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The will of God is what comes to your life that you can't control. You with me? Ministry is something that we do. The will of God is what we become. You with me? So don't let what you're doing for God take you away from the ultimate purpose that God is having you become in what you're doing. So I want to just, I want to just share with you a few thoughts. First of all, I want to set the stage of what I'm trying to say here. And I'm going to use just a simple term that a sword is always given before a battle. A word is always given before a chaos. A prophecy is always released before it, it comes. And there's so many times as a pastor over, I don't know how many years, I have sat and listened to people come to my office or to my house and they explain to me all these problems and they got this pressing situation on them and they're emotionally just destroyed. They're confused. They don't know what to do. They know all the scriptures and verses and they can counsel somebody else on their issues, but they have no clue what to do in their own. And I think back as I watch this person or people, that as it's happened over the years, that I've known them for a long period of time, and I've, I've, I've begun to understand who they are as people. I begin to watch their journey, and I know what services they were in and what services they weren't in. And I remember what words were spoken behind the pulpit at that moment that they were present in, and it was the exact answer that they need in their current situation, yet they don't remember what was spoken. Because we are great listeners, but poor hearers. We take Sunday morning messages or things that God does with worship or even in our quiet time as just a momentary meal when God is saying, no, I want you to hold on to that because it's more than just a meal. It's a promise, and you're going to need it in six months. You're going to need it in a year. You're going to need it in a year and a half. And then that year and a half comes, and then you wonder, what's going on? Why is my life so chaotic? Why don't I have any answers? When the sword has come way before the warfare. But we forget about the sword because it's been so long of a period of time. See, a year and a half is a lot for us. For God, it's like a nanosecond. 
We feel like, you know, if God's going to speak, he's got to speak right now. No, sometimes you'll receive quote unquote words that are outside of your season and they're not meant for you at all. Because the season that God places you in often dictates the, the word he's going to speak. You with me? If you're married, God's not going to speak to you about divorce. Why? Because your season is to be faithful. And I'm not saying you stay in an abusive marriage, but I'm, just, I'm not also saying you get divorced either. You chose that bed. Now, if that happens to you, then that's beyond your control. If somebody leaves you, then you can't change that. You with me? The seasons that we're in determine the word that God's going to speak. If we're in a season of restoration, God's not going to uh, be tearing things down. If you're in a season of tearing down, God's not going to build things up. When you're in a season of the cross, it's not time for resurrection. When you're in the time for resurrection, it's not time for the cross. There is points in order in God, and we have to understand these things in wisdom and understand what God's doing for us, because if we don't understand that, we're going to take a word out of season, and we're, it's not going to work. You with me? All right, so every act of God in our life, Every time God does something for you, how many of you guys have testimonies in your life? We just heard one. You know why those things happen? It's not because God's trying to alleviate the situation. That is very short-sighted vision. God doesn't do anything just because he's fixing that moment. If you've ever had a victory or a promise or something come to pass in your life, God does that specifically to build the faith in your heart so that way next time when the answer doesn't come, you've proven him faithful and you wait a little longer. But you know what most of us do? We go back to freaking out. Let me, let me, let me ask you this. How many, how many of you guys have ever had a, a point in your life where you needed something really bad, a bill paid or something, a need, and, and God just, you were stressed out about it and God supernaturally met the need? And you were like, wow, that was so cool, right? And then the next time the same thing happens. A bill comes up, you need something, and, and you're still stressed out. Anybody ever happen? Why? Because we didn't learn the, the lesson behind the fulfillment of the promise. We chalk God up as if he is there to just to meet our every need, and the needs that he's meeting is trying to bring us to a place of faith where we trust who he is as a giver, not as someone who temporarily scratches our itches. I hear all these people all the time tell me all the things God's done for them and all the things God's, you know, all the experiences they have. And I'm just like, that's because he's trying to show you his nature and you're impressed with his ways. The ways of God are different than the nature of God. The ways of God are to, deliver, to, to perform miracles and signs and wonders. The, the, that's the acts of God. The ways of God are to put you in a very tight position so the miracle can actually come to pass. Amen. It was a good one. You with me? But how many of you like being put in a very tight position so that the miracle can come to pass? But if you don't know the way of God, then whenever the thing comes to pass and you're put in that tight situation and you're going to fall uh, on the sword of unbelief instead of standing in the sword of faith, you begin to implement what you uh, interject in that situation. And God can't move. 
Do you realize that Moses could not lead those people across that Red Sea when God led them to a point of no return until he took his staff and his authority and actually struck the water? If he hadn't have done that, they would have been overtaken. You with me? There's something that God puts in our hands that he expects us to use. If we don't use it, the waters don't part. And so many times we've been praying for miracles because we've been put in different situations and we're expecting God to do something. But the problem is, is that he's waiting on us to accomplish our part of that miracle because he won't do it without us. Are you with me? So, so many times we make our, our situation so much more chaotic because we're not remembering what God has spoken to us over the specific problem that we're currently having. Let me tell you something. Everybody in here who's going through something difficult right now, six months ago, a year ago, God spoke to you and gave you a word for your moment right now. You just don't remember it. And if you don't remember it, you might as well not even have it. This is why in the Old Testament, God told them over and over and over, set up markers and set up pillars so that way when you come back this way again, you can remember that I delivered you. What's the point? You're going to come back this way again. In other words, you're going to come back to a problem, back to something that seems familiar, that God moved in at some point in your life, and he's going to expect you to remember the word that he gave you. And if you don't, your defeat is not his fault. And then so many Christians, oh, I'm just feeling so defeated. That's because you're not using your authority and your rod. You're using your emotions as your, as your weapon. And let me tell you something. The devil is not impressed with your emotions. In fact, he loves manipulating them. So everything that God has done in your life was a promise given to you to understand the nature of who he is so that way when you come to a new battle, you understand that he is faithful and he can be trusted. We don't just sit there and rejoice in the, in this, in the smallness of the victory. We rejoice in the fact that he's revealed his nature to us as a deliverer. Okay. So, so, so many times we intensify our trials by focusing upon what we're fighting or what we're going through rather than what he said about what we're going through. Amen? A couple of head nods. You intensify your trial by focusing on what you're fighting and going through. Emotion blinds you, steals from you the ability to remember the promise. Do you realize that it has to get bad before it gets better? That's the way of the kingdom. Did you realize you signed up to follow a kingdom whose actual ways, every way of the kingdom is to look bad before it gets better, to get darker before it gets lighter? to go through death before you see resurrection. You signed up to follow a king who operates that way. 
and yet you expect him to all of a sudden become an American and change everything of how he operates for you. No, he's still a Jew, and he's still the king of the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom operates upon a loss-gain principle. Which means everything you think you're losing should tell you you're about to gain a whole lot. But if you're focused on what you're losing, you gain nothing. Because what you look at is what you become and what you are changed into the likeness of. This is why they always set their idols up in front of them. This is why Jesus was lifted up on a cross. This is why the snake was lifted up in the wilderness. Why? Because what we gaze upon is what we become. Does it make sense to you? So when in a battle, right, look back and you'll see a word that was given for your moment now. This is why it's very important to take notes. I'm not saying like write down everything the preacher's saying, but I'm saying that when you, when something like strikes you and it's like, wow, that was a good, that was good. You need to write that down and you need to go back through those little pages when you're suffering and go back and just tell God, no, I know by the spirit you spoke to my heart and said that because I wrote it down. We don't do that anymore because we have internet and we'll think, well, I'll go back and listen to it again. But then you forget which message it was and then you don't end up doing it because you're too busy and then you, you lose it and then you think, well, I don't know. And then all of a sudden the, the, the stuff happens and then you're coming to whoever your leader is with tears all in your eyes and handkerchiefs in your hand acting like you're just defeated little puppy. Because you lost your promise. You dropped your sword. And then you're going to try to fight a battle with just a shield. It doesn't work. Am I making sense? See, the will of God or the promise of God has to manifest itself through you. See, if God gives a promise, it cannot come to pass unless it comes to pass through human flesh. Do you ever realize that? Oh, God gave me a promise. The promise is always conditional upon the person who's willing to, to, to perform it. Go back to Ezekiel when he saw the valley of the dry bones, right? God tells him, prophesy this. And he says exactly, so picture the picture. You got Ezekiel and you got God standing looking at this valley of dry bones in, in chapter 37. Both of them are, are present. Both of them are physically present in that valley, right? God is not speaking to Ezekiel through his mind, he's saying it out loud. He tells Ezekiel, say this, and he says the exact words that he tells Ezekiel to say. The bones hear it, but guess what? The bones don't get up. Why? Because it takes a human being to raise up human dead things. And when Ezekiel spoke it, what happened? It responded. Why? Because when you release the word, that comes from God, it has authority in your realm. This is why Jesus became human, to give the word authority in the human realm. If we don't speak and hold that word, that word has no authority in our realm. Why? Because he says, I've given you all authority. It's more than just what we speak, it's what we've convinced ourselves that what we believe because of who he is. 
My faith in God doesn't rest upon what he does or what he has done. It's, it rests in the fact of who he showed me that he is through what he's done. Right? It's a great thing when somebody gets born again and maybe they're, they're strung out on drugs and God delivers them and they know God is a deliverer. That's an awesome thing and we rejoice in that. However, they know only a minuscule part of Father. They don't know him as provider and healer. They don't know him as Abba. They don't know him as, him as restorer. They don't know him as, as the banner. They don't know him as all these things that he is. And if they continue to follow him, he will do things in their life revealing his nature. So the things that he does reveals who he is. What's the point? Him doing those things for you and answering your prayers? No, it's so that you will know him. That's what Jesus prayed in John 17, that they may know you. God's not interested in performing miracles. The miracles are only there to show who he is. Praise God we get healed. Praise God those things happen. Do you realize, though, that you can be healed and still die and not know who he is? Our warfare should be based upon who we know he is, not expecting of what he's going to do. When you know who he is, the promise of what he's given becomes all that more tangible. If God's promised you children and you keep waiting for that act and not seeing him as the father, you're holding something that you don't possess because you're waiting for him to move when he's waiting for you to know. Our faith isn't based upon hope. It's based upon a tangible substance that we possess. Hope and faith are different. People think faith and hope are the same thing. Or sometimes when they define hope, they define it as actually as faith. And it's not. Or when they define faith, they're actually defining hope. Hope is an anchor for your emotions. It keeps your emotions settled. But faith is something you actually tangibly hold on to. You possess it. It's a substance. It's not a, an ethereal issue out in there floating in the sky. That's what hope is. Hope has no tangibility. It's something you want to happen, but it just hasn't. Faith means you've actually apprehended it. You know you own it because you own God who owns it. And you hold it because you have a promise. And you hold that promise no matter how bad it looks. Because you've heard, and you don't let go. So many of you are trying to operate your situations without a, without a word. You're just trying to get through it. God did not make us to just to get through hard things. He put us there so we could conquer it for someone else. Your goal is not to get through a bad week. It's to subjugate it and make it serve the one you know. The problem is, is you and I create ideas of what we think that's supposed to feel like. I'll tell you what it's going to feel like. It's going to feel like crap. No one ever said that following Jesus would be easy on your emotions. But I want and this and that. What about what he wants for your life? I've watched so many people train wreck their life because they want what they want instead of doing what God wants. Bad marriages come because people do what they want. They don't wait on the Lord. Like all of a sudden, it's so crazy to me. Young people get so 
blown out in their head like, oh, this God who hoiled the, like measured the sea in the palm of his hand and just was like, bloop, that's enough. All of a sudden loses all ability to bring someone to them to marry. Like it becomes their sole responsibility. And he has no power and authority over some man somewhere in the, wherever. Oh my goodness. See, the word of God, the heavenly word of God, has to gain entrance into the earth through earthly means. There are so many words over your life just pending, hanging there because we're not giving them entrance. They can't come unless they come through us. Show me in the Bible where God doesn't use people to bring forth his promises, his warfare, his victory, his word, his prophetic order, his, his teachings. His, show me where God does it without us. The only time that happened was at the cross, and then he turned the authority back over to us and said, now, you go do what I told you to do in the beginning. The, the heavenly word of God has to gain entrance into our earthly means, your situation, through you. It takes mortal men to move the immortal word of God into mortal circumstances. See, the power of remembrance is, is the power of us as an eternal being uh, calling forth the eternal word of God into a temporary moment. When you, when you remember, you're taking forward, you're taking into the, from the past the thing God's spoken into the need for the, for the present. And you're establishing it as the word of God for the moment, causing everything that opposes that word to bow the knee. Do you know how many times that God speaks something to people in the Bible before it actually happens? Almost every time. You know how many times that he spoke certain things to Israel and they didn't remember what the prophets had said, which is why he said, remember, 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 remember. You know why Jesus tells us so many times, remember, remember? Because you're supposed to remember. It's amazing to me when we take communion, which hopefully we're going to do at the end of the service. Jesus said, do this and remember me. It's like, wait a minute, how many of you ever think, well, I, I, I'll never forget Jesus? That's not what he's talking about. You know what communion is? It's the act of us coming into the order of kingdom understanding by saying we remember who you are as a person on this earth, human flesh and blood, who took something bad in the middle of their moment and turned it into something good, that you are the one who comes and changes death to life. You are the one who changes dark to light. And we take this now in our moment of uh, serenity to you so that we understand this principle. We surrender this communion, we remember who you are. We remember that you deliver us. You heal us. You touch us. We remember your faithfulness, your promises. We apply it to the moment. We don't forget. 
when we're going through something bad, that I feel like everything's falling apart, which is what we often do. You know, I, I know pastors that are moved by this stuff. Something starts going wrong or something, goes, something starts going hard or difficult in their marriage or their ministry, and that's all. And, and, and then they just start coming to God based upon that specific need alone, and that's it. I mean, that's okay, but that's very shallow. Does, does God care about those things? Sure he does, but he cares more about you knowing him than him fixing your problem. Because if he fixes your problem, you're just going right back to the same old thinking that's basically dependent upon God to show up for a miracle whenever he puts you in the position to establish the word as an authoritative position in your life. My wife and my ministry and what God's doing in me and I don't understand it and I'm in a bad place and I'm in a hard place and I'm in a transition place and this sucks. And it doesn't matter where you are, it matters who's with you. If we don't find solace in the fact that he's Emmanuel, he's never going to be good enough for you because you're always going to have a problem. This is why he prayed. Don't take him out of the world. You're always going to have those problems. You just keep them from the evil one. You know that when you focus on the world, you're actually giving entrance to the evil one. thereby counteracting the prayer of Jesus for you to keep you from him. Like all of a sudden you're going to come to this degree of Christianity where this fallen world has absolutely no influence on you. No, its influence on you is supposed to be there so that you can actually have influence upon it. Do you realize what we've been doing? We've been going into battle without a word of God for our life. You, 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 the things that God does and speaks to you and tells you are the things you need to hold on to. Why do you need to hold on to them? Because you are going to need them very soon. So there's a difference between having a gift and, and operating in the power of the word. You may not be a prophet, but you can hang on to the prophet's word. You may not be a teacher, but you can hold on to the word of the teacher. The Bible says that the entrance of your word gives light. When we allow the word into our circumstance and our situation, all of a sudden light comes. When light comes, there's no confusion. Why? Because confusion only has its roots in darkness. You know how many Christians actually walk in confusion more than they care to admit? And the only reason they don't want to admit it is because they know the word says that God's not the author of confusion and they're too arrogant and prideful and religious to say I'm, in, I'm confused because they know it's wrong to say that. But actually they're very comfortable with confusion and they operate solely out of that most of the time. And then our, moment, our life is reduced down to moments of nothing but being beggars. Some calamity happens, we come run to God and we beg and plead and then he moves and then we're like, ha, ah, and they go right back to the same old thinking and then a calamity comes and we come right back to him and then we, ah, and then he moves and then, ah, and then we go, and it's just a cycle. And we call that Christianity. Do you know at some point something's going to happen to you in your life and it's going to be the last thing that happens to you? At some point, something's going to happen where he's not going to move. And if your entire basis of God is based upon him being a miracle worker in your position, at some point, that idea of him is going to fail. 
And you know why so many people fall away from Christianity? Because of that right there. Well, God didn't move for me. Well, what about all the times he did move for you? Because at some point, you've got to die. Your family has to die. People around you have to die. Cultures and civilizations will die. Does that mean God didn't move? It means you missed who he was. We have a very perverted view of Abba. And I'm just going to read this. 2 Peter 1.12. i got to hurry up. 2 Peter 1.12. Therefore, it says, I will always be ready. This is Peter talking to them. I will always be ready to remind you of these things. If you want to know what these things are, go back and read verses 11 through 1. <clears throat> or 1 through 11. Even though you already know them. I'm going to remind you of them. And I've been established in the truth and I present these things to you. I consider it right in verse 13 as long as I am able to be in this earthly dwelling to stir you up to remember. You know how many times when somebody comes to a church service and they hear a similar message that they think they've heard, they immediately shut their, they shut off. Whoop. <laughs> I've heard this. I know this. I've been in church. I've heard that sermon before. The point is not listening to it and ascribing to some knowledge of agreement. The point is getting it so deep inside of you that when the battle comes, you're going to need what you think you know. And so many times the battle comes and people don't have what they think they need because they haven't listened. They haven't heard. Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what that means? It's possible to hear everything I'm saying and absolutely get nothing. It's possible to sit in a Sunday. I've had it happen before. I've, I've preached and preached and preached and preached, and people come to me, and they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, I just preached on that two weeks ago. Good Lord, can't you remember anything? That's what I want to say. Of course, I can't, because I'll hurt somebody's feelings. So i got to be a father and be like, hey, bro, you remember what I told I said a couple weeks ago? Huh? Why don't you go back and listen to that and then come back and we'll talk. See, what we don't remember is usually what we need to make it through a specific trial. The word comes before conflict. Oh, God gave me a revelation. Buckle up, buttercup, because you know what's coming? Everything to test that revelation. You're about to have a circumstance or a trial hit you that's going to knock you on your butt, and you better have a staff in your hand because your own two feet aren't enough. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You with me? See, the word comes to prepare us for what's coming, and many times because there's a time distance between the promise fulfilled and the time when we, when we get it, the battle happens, we miss our victory. We're so short-sighted American, Burger King, have it our way, immediate, instant gratification, that if God doesn't speak right now and then test it right now, then it's not his will. God will speak to you six months, a year, two years, sometimes three, four, five years before you ever come to actually receiving those promises or, or battles. I've had things God spoke to me when I was 15 years old that didn't come to pass until recently. I'm 44. That's a long time. 
For me, that's a long time. For him, it's nothing. You with me? Hebrews 10, 32. Recall, remember the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. How many of you like to be illuminated, enlightened? Woo, that's fun. What happens after you get illuminated? How many of y'all never read that before? See, all your answers are right in front of your face. If you just slow down and make room for him and remember these things, when it comes, you're going to go, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. And then people are going, why aren't you freaking out? Why would I freak out when this is the way it's supposed to be? See, you're freaking out because you have a perverted idea of who God is. I'm not freaking out because I do know who he is. See, every time something bad happens to you, you should come to this understanding in your life where even if this thing kills me, if this is the last thing that I ever go through, I will trust in the name of Yahweh. But most of us aren't, we're too afraid to lose that thing to not have him move in that situation. We're too afraid for him not to give us what we're asking for, so we create it on our own. We're too afraid to trust he actually has the right person for us if we're single. <laughs> so we're gonna manipulate it and do it ourselves. Right? Because we just don't trust that he's gonna give us something good. If there's a spirit of perversion released from the enemy, then I already know that there's a spirit of purity released from God. Which one do you remember? Whichever one you focus on. You with me? Let me go through some verses in John. I love the way John looks at this. In John 14, verse 26, he says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I've told you. Why? Because you need to remember everything he said. Who, who, who helps you remember? Yeah, when you grieve him, guess what? You lose your ability to remember Jesus' word for your life. You with me? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, I will come to you, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father's greater than I. What he's saying is, is he's like, if, if you loved me, you'd be happy that I'm leaving. <laughs> You know, that's, that's the idea of Christianity right there. When I take something really good from you, you should be happy. You should be excited because I'm about to give you something better. But see, you know what we do? We look at what God's taking away and then we curse his name for it. He said, you, 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 if you knew who I was, you'd be happy that I'm, I'm leaving. But we love you, Jesus. He's like, I love you too, but I gotta go. 
I love you so much that I got to go because I'm going to give you something better. Well, what's better than you? Me in you. But they didn't understand that. All they saw was what God was taking from them, just like us. And if you're different, then this sermon isn't for you. Right? It's for all of us. Mere mortals. You heard me say I'm going away and I'll come to you. If you love me, you'd rejoice because I'm going to the Father. The Father's greater than I. Listen to this. And now I've told you before it takes place. He said, I've told you before it takes place. I'm warning you. I'm letting you know now before this happens so that when it does, you can believe. That's how Jesus works. He tells you beforehand, so that way when it comes to pass, you can actually believe. In other words, he gives you your victory before you even have a war, so that way when the war comes, you know the outcome. What happens if you don't believe? Then you rob yourself of your own victory. It wasn't the devil. It was you. You didn't hang on to your word. He says, I'm not going to talk with you much longer for the prince of this world's come and he has no claim on me. You understand what that means? It means the devil has no authority over the word. He has no ability to manipulate the word. He has no ability to infuse the word or to, to pervert the word or, or to mess with the word of God. Who is the word here? It's Jesus. The devil's coming, but he has no place in me. If he has no place in me, guess what? He has no place in you. Why? I'll tell you why. Because here in a few chapters, I'm about to pray that you and I will be one. And I always get what I ask for. See, a proper relationship with the Holy Spirit gives you access to what God is saying and has said. You don't have to worry about drumming it up. When you stay in communion with the Holy Spirit, He will automatically be like... You remember when he told you this? Oh, yeah, I do. See, the word is intended to determine the trial. But you know what happens so many times? The trial often determines the word for us. We, manu- we, we go looking for words based on the trials we're in, and God does it the exact opposite. God gives the word, and then the trial comes. If you have to go look for a word in the middle of where you're at, you already missed what he's already said. When you get the nature of God, then you begin to understand how he operates in his word. And there's certain things you don't have to pray about anymore. I have people come to me like, well, be praying about this. I'm like, bro, I'm not praying about that. And they look at me like, what? You can't, you can't say that to me. Like, I'm not praying about it. That's not the will of God. Well, how do you know? Because I know him. I know his word. I don't have to pray about what I know is already in the word. I'm not praying about it. I'm not going to waste my time praying for you on that. You want to spiritually religiousize something that he's probably already spoken to you, but you're so confused and whacked out in your head, you're, you're considering the circumstance and not his nature. It's just like the guy that came to Mother Teresa one day, and she, he, she, he said, please pray for me. She said, what do you want? And she said, he said, pray that I have clarity. She says, absolutely not. He looks at her all offended. 
She said, in all my years of ministry and service to Jesus, I've never had clarity once. I've only had faith. (laughs) Whoops. I actually, one time in my life, this couple came to me and asked me to pray for them. I said, no, I'm not praying for you. You need to go home, get on your face. You need to lead your wife in prayer and do it yourself because you have the same access to the same Jesus that I do. And I'm not going to sit here and do this for you. They got so mad at me. I mean, they're still my enemies to this day. It's like 20 years ago. I was so offended. That's your problem. Doesn't change my life. John chapter 16. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. You see that? Jesus said these things to keep you from stumbling. That word falling away means stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Okay, here's the, here's the promise. I've told you all this stuff. You want to read what he said? Then go back and read it. I've told you all this stuff. Verse 2, now they're going to put you out of the synagogues. They're going to kick you out of church. The hour's coming that they're going to kill you, and they're going to think that they're actually serving me. And they're going to do all these things because they did not know the Father. They only knew the acts of the Father. They did not know my Father. That's why they're doing this to you. And I'm warning you now because they're going to do this to you. And you need to remember these things so that when it happens, you know everything's okay. I'm not a wildly accepted preacher. Most places, in fact, almost every place except one that I've ever been to, I've never got invited back. I'm good with that. The thing, though, is, is for many years I wasn't. I was like, something's wrong with me, or I can't change who I am. God's given me this gift, and I, people wanted me to change and, and adapt to what they wanted, and I couldn't do it, and I couldn't figure out why. But then I figured out all I have to do is please him. And it's not about whether I get invited back or not. It's about whether I know who my father is. And it's about whether I can walk away from this knowing I have done everything for these people from whom he loves, whether they liked it or not with me? They're going to do all these things because they did not know the Father. But I have said these things to you, verse 4, that when the hours come, you might remember that I told you them. Jump down to verse 20. I'm telling you the truth. In a minute, you will weep and lament. This is the, this is, you want to know, this is the core, reduced, concentrate of what the kingdom looks like, right? In every situation. In a minute, you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, too, you have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's how the kingdom works that you will not remember your pain, you will remember his promise. So what happens when you're in pain? You realize that the word is the promise, the pain is the delivery. Okay, that was really good, but I'll move on if that wasn't impressive. So... 
John 16, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you might have what? Peace. Did he give conditions to that peace that your marriage was going to be good and your geographics were going to be good and your finances were going to be good and your house was going to sell and your, your future's mate was going to show up? Did he give you any of those? He said, no, I'm telling you these things now so that you have peace in the midst of chaos. He, this guy's about, to, this is in the tail end of his ministry and he's telling you all, all these things because he's about to undergo the most horrific thing that he's ever gonna go through and he's walking through it with rest and peace and he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he saw the delivery, he saw the birth, he saw you and he saw me. If you can't see the harvest out of your sowing in tears, then you're never gonna reap in joy. There's so many Christians that are just consumed with how they feel about it instead of how God feels about it. God sees your end. You just see your moment. Faith is the transfer of vision between the two. John chapter two, verse 19, Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews said, it, takes, it took 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. When he was therefore raised from the dead, his disciples, what? They remembered what he said and believed the scriptures that the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus warned them in John chapter two of what was gonna happen to him and they didn't remember it until after he was raised from the dead. The word comes before the chaos. When they remembered, they saw the principles of God in operation. They just didn't see the acts of God. They saw how God operates. God takes dead things and he makes them live. The more dead something seems in your life, the more you need to train yourself to rejoice because it has to bow to kingdom influence if you let that kingdom influence come through you. Okay. See, every word, every word, that's every word, Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it. Every word that's tore down will be raised. In fact, God, when he gives you a word, the first thing that's probably going to happen is it's not going to happen. Because the word must be tore down first and then it must be raised. So in other words, God prophesies that you're going to be a mighty soul winner for Jesus and win 10,000 people for the Lord. And you go out and spend two years trying to get people saved and you don't get one single convert. What do you believe? The promise or how it looks? Does this make sense to you? Every word that's tore down in your life that hasn't come to pass just means that it's going to be raised again in the future. You, you, you and I need to get this. 
because this is a principle of the kingdom. You understand what I mean by principle of the kingdom? You're not going to change this. This is how it works in every aspect of kingdom reality. You want to follow the king? These are the rules. It's got to die before it lives. It's going to be cut down before it bears fruit. If it's bearing fruit, it's going to cut, it be cut down so it can bear more. Why are we so concerned? I'll tell you why we're so concerned about the things that happen and why we feel like these things aren't going right in our life because we only want his acts and we don't want to know him and his ways. It's selfish. God is a means to our own spiritual end. Whenever in reality, we are a means to his fulfillment and happiness. We exist for his pleasure, not the other way around. Go read Revelation 4.11. It's biblical. If you can't remember the words that were spoken, then all we'll believe is the lies that are manifested. I don't have time to finish all this, guys. There's a lot here. So much in the Word of God. Let me, let me, let me go to one place and I'll finish. I'm going to have to leave the rest of this. You'll have to figure it out on your own. Or come to me later and I'll give you my notes. One, one, one place where, in John 11 where Lazarus dies and it's a very horrific event for Mary and Martha. And Jesus tells her... He's going to get up. And then in verse 40, she's all freaking out. And he says, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God? You know why he said that? Because she didn't remember. And in this case, it was actually just a few hours ago. Emotion and pain has such a way of taking away the reality of the word of God that even within a matter of a few hours, you forget everything Jesus just said. Why? Because your focus is on what you've lost, not who's with you in your loss. See, his, her loss outweighed his promise. See, the loss doesn't determine the word. Rather, the word and the, has the authority to enter the loss if we remember. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. there's something here that's really powerful. This is where Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to betray me. It's interesting to me, the order of this. Verse 32, it says, But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus is already in Peter's return. Peter hasn't even denied yet. God is so far ahead of your circumstances, it's ridiculous. But guess what? In verse 61, Peter denies him. Verse 60, in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In verse 61, what did he remember? Did he remember everything he was told? We're so focused on what we aren't and what's going to go wrong and how we're going to be this and that that we don't see or remember what he's told us before. What came first? The promise of restoration 
or the telling of betrayal. But what did he remember? The word he remembered from Jesus is that you will betray me. How come he didn't remember the word, you will be restored in return? Because his emotion about what he did to God and his inferiority and all of his failures and all of his, his decrepitcy and everything that he had was so much greater than the promise of restoration that it stole from him the promise of restoration. He couldn't remember it. Pain has a way of stealing from you what God gave you to save you from that pain. Our condition is often based upon the issue that we believe. What we believe is determined by what we remember. See, fear is what usually causes us to, to fail to remember the word of God. In Peter's case, it was the fear of failing God and the fact that he already had. If your sin is bigger than his cross, then you serve the wrong Jesus. And I don't want nothing to do with that one. The Bible says there's a spirit of another Jesus. And a lot of churches worship him. No, none for me, thanks. If fear guides our remembrance, then we'll never war in peace. You with me? I got a whole other segment. I can't get to it. I want you to stand up. Let's close. I want you to go back into your mind, your heart. I want you to maybe try to start jotting some things down. For me, it's sometimes easier because I'm preaching these things and they're for me as well. So all I have to do is start scrolling back through my notes and just begin to go through these things if I know what the Lord has spoken. That way when it gets difficult and hard, I'm like, okay, I know what you said. I know what I see. But I'm not going to pay attention to what I'm seeing. It doesn't deserve my attention. You do. So I really believe many of us in this room need to go back and begin to write down the things that God has spoken, whether it's through someone else, through a message, through a worship, through a song, a lyric in a song, some private time that God's had with you on your face, maybe a prophecy, a teaching, a revelation. Those things are given so that you would remember his promise that when these difficulties come that you can say, look, I've already been here. I haven't even gone through this yet, but I've already won. I know because he told me this was coming. God's not going to warn you of something if he doesn't have plans of leading you through it. You with me? So real quick, if we can have uh, Cody and Abe, would you guys mind passing this out? I just want to just take communion real quick with you guys. Just have you guys come before this moment with the Lord where you remember him. Remember his promises. Remember his life. Remember that he takes dead things and makes them live. He takes hurting things and heals them. He takes broken things and restores them. This is nature. It's who he is. While we're praying for the miracles, he's waiting for us to see him, who he is. It says, do this.
to remember him. Not just to, oh, I remember this Jesus guy. It's to remember how he moves in kingdom order. And that this earth is not uh, the controlling factor to your moment. That his reality, the life, the death, and the resurrection is the order of the kingdom of God. And if you're going through something that is in a living, dying experience that you know by hope and by faith that you have the ability to, to, to understand your resurrection is near. So I, everybody has a moment right here, right now that you're dealing with. Maybe a marriage, maybe a financial situation, maybe both. Maybe a need, maybe a want. Something that's pulled your vision off the Lord and it's caused you to not remember him for your moment, for your situation. And I want this act of communion to be that re-entry into you and God and saying, I, I remember that you're in my situation. I remember that you're in my moment. I remember that you're in my, my need. I remember that you're in my, my life. And I'm inviting you into it. And I'm inviting your promise and I'm inviting your blood and I'm inviting your body. I'm inviting you to come into this situation and remind me who you are, remind me how you work, and remind me that you've got this, and remind me that you're Emmanuel, and you've never left, and your blood is still real, and your body is still alive, and you are not defeated. So, Father, we just thank you right now for your body and your blood. We thank you for the order of who you are, and we thank you that your victory far, far comes before even the war that we fight. And as one body, Lord, we honor and acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We acknowledge your body that's always healed and it's always open, it's always delivered, it's always seated above the right hand of God and above the principalities of darkness. We acknowledge that your body in us, one with us, we've been raised to newness of life. We thank you for your body and we take it now, Lord believing that you are in our moment and our circumstance, and we remember your power. We remember your grace. We remember your victory, Lord. We remember who you are, and we thank you for that precious blood that washes away all sin, sin that we've committed in the past, sin we've committed today, and sin that we haven't even committed yet. It has touched all of it. It has bled over all of it, that you are the God eternally, past, present, and future, and your word will come to pass. We believe in the power of the blood and the healing power that comes to our life. We believe that the blood has the ability to sanctify our situation, to sanctify our moment, to sanctify our bank account, to sanctify our marriage, to sanctify our children, to sanctify those who are lost. We believe in the power and the authority of your word and your blood, and we receive it now, remembering that you are with us and you raised us to newness of life. So, Father, we remind you of your promises now. We remind you of the things you've spoken. We remind you of the restoration. We remind you of, of all the things you're bringing in, the people you're bringing in, the restoration, the prodigals, the healing, the signs, the wonders, the deliverance, the miracles, the prophecies, the salvation, the revival, the gifts, the callings, the things that you're raising up, the people you're bringing in, the souls. We remind you of all the things you've spoken, and we remind you of everything that you haven't done yet because of us. And Lord, we ask that we would not be the hindering factor to that, but we release it now. We release your word through us now, and we, we give you entrance into us and to our situations that we would speak the word of life and that even if our emotions tell us the exact opposite of what's happening that we know who you are we bless you Abba we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name amen